joining us. Hi, Flame. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Fandom. Episode three is here. Yay! Yay! First of all, we want to thank our cover artist for the week, Stark Snack. And we want to give you guys an FYI that this gorgeous art will be seen throughout the life of the pod. It's our personalized commissioned cover art, and we are still giggling over how wonderful it is. Also, if you're looking for stony art of your dreams, Stark Snack donates her commissions to Planned Parenthood. So the combo of getting fantastic art and providing healthcare is something we can completely get behind here at Pod on the Suit. And her links will be in the show notes. We have another jam-packed show for you this week. Censorship is and always will be a hot topic in fandom, and it's an issue all over the world, as we've seen with China's recent ban of AO3. But for our first hot topic segment, we're going to talk specifically about the Tumblr porn purge. We're going to go over some of the basic history, the factors that led to it, as well as some larger social ramifications of Tumblr's actions and where we go from here. I get a little bit ranty, so either be really excited or skip that set. <laughs> After we talk about Tumblr, we're going to switch gears and chat about the famous fandom theory of more cake when it comes to tropes and content creation. And then we'll close with a quick trip up update, Marie's events forecast, and a quick check-in with you all about the poll we ran on how you feel about tropes. So let's get started. Tumblr is a major force in fandom for sharing gifts and stories and challenges. It was once, however, an even more central player. Today we're going to explore the facts surrounding the Tumblr porn purge of 2018, as well as some of the theories surrounding why it happened. I'll put on my Professor Flame hat to explore some of the sociological foundations of purity purges, and then Ferret will give us some thoughts on kind of where we go from here as a community. First, we're going to start with a kind of quick and dirty timeline of the things that played into the Tumblr purge. We've collected all the information we could about this. If you feel like we've missed anything, you can add it in. And this information is going to be available on the website as well. So first of all, on the 18th of April, 2018, the FOSTA-SESTA was signed into law. And that changed the responsibility of hosts of content on the internet, as opposed to putting all the responsibility on creators and sharers of content. We'll go into more detail about that in a minute as well. And then a couple months later, in November of that year, Tumblr was removed from the Apple App Store for hosting illegal images, uh, which were indecent images of children. And this is confirmed in a statement from Tumblr themselves. Later that month or throughout that month, random tags seemed to appear and disappear. Blogs were deleted without warning, without explanation. And Tumblr didn't really give a solid explanation for what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. The rules at the time still allowed sexual content. They didn't tell us that anything was changing about that, but there was a lot of upheaval as things seemed to disappear and reappear without any guidelines. And then on December 3rd of 2018, Tumblr announced that a full ban of not safe for work content would come into place on December 17th. This would include real life images of genitals or, and this is my favorite phrase, female presenting nipples, it would also include all images of sex acts, including illustrations. Still allowed was, quote, exposed female presenting nipples in connection with breastfeeding, birth, or afterbirth moments, and health-related situations such as post-mastectomy or gender confirmation surgery, end quote, as well as, quote, written content such as erotica, 
nudity related to political or newsworthy speech, and nudity found in art, such as sculptures and illustrations, end quote. On December 17th of that year, the ban came into place. Tumblr started flagging, blocking, deleting blogs and posts that were in apparent violation. A lot of it was run by an automatic filter, which was not great, and we'll talk about the filters in a minute as well. Even Tumblr's own post about which images were still allowed was flagged. And then on August 12th of 2019, it was announced that Tumblr was sold to a company called Automatic, who owns WordPress. So you're familiar with them on that level. And Automatic confirmed that the ban would stay in place. And that's kind of where we are now. Not a whole lot has changed since then. Obviously, a lot of people are still upset about the ban, um, but there's been no word from Automatic or Tumblr if anything's going to change. So to go back to the beginning, we're going to talk about the FOSTA-SESTA law. This is a U.S. law, and since Tumblr is a U.S.-based company, they are responsible under this law. Um, also, disclaimer, I'm not a lawyer. This is my understanding of it. If anyone is a lawyer and wants to talk to us about laws relating to fandom, we'd love to hear from you. But this messes with Section 230 of a 1996 addition to the Communications Decency Act. And the act states, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So what that means is that if a company like Twitter has a tweet that's, say, anti-Trump and Trump wants to sue somebody, he can't sue Twitter. He could only go after the specific person that created that tweet. And whether that was illegal attack or not is a separate matter, but Twitter could not be held responsible. That changes under SESTA-FOSTA. Now, those providers are responsible for any sex work advertisements that are hosted on their site servers, whether they, are, whether they created the content, whether they know the content is there or not. This is a huge change because now they have to be aware of all of the content on their site or they could be held accountable for it. The goal of SESTA Foster was supposed to prevent sex trafficking. That's how it was marketed, at least. But the actual implication is that Twitter, Tumblr, Craigslist, Facebook now become responsible if any sex work is being negotiated through their platform at all. This is utterly terrifying for content hosts and it's a slippery slope for them being responsible for a lot of extremely illegal stuff that they honestly have very little control over. How can you possibly monitor all the content on a server as massive as Tumblr or Facebook or Twitter? Every single tweet someone writes, as soon as someone says, I'm offering sex and here's how much on Twitter, Twitter is now legally exposed. So, What's the answer to that? Well, a broad ban is easier for a company to enact and to pitch as a reasonable effort to adhere, to adhere to this law than targeted filtering. It's sort of hard to say, eh, you can talk about sex, but you can't put a price on it. Or you can talk about sex with a price on it in theory, but not about real people. And those kind of lines lead us into talking about the filters. So for the filter, the way Tumblr did it before was the only thing that they really worried about or the only thing that they were legally obligated to filter through was known child pornography content. Uh, and the way that works is there is actually a database that some people I feel very sorry for are in charge of maintaining through law enforcement agencies um, where known abusive child content is saved. 
and companies have filters that compare new content that's posted on their site to these databases to make sure that there's no match and that can be done automatically. But Tumblr through an audit found that something got missed and when it became knowledge within the, within the spheres that would have access to that information, Apple took them off the Apple store basically saying until your filter is better, you can't be on the Apple store because we can't guarantee nobody's gonna come across that. So now they're stuck needing to improve their filters for child pornography, and they also are now being beheld to a new law that says any sex work advertisements are going to be their problem as well. So how do you filter data? Well, it's really, really hard. <laughs> the most accurate way is to use human filters, obviously. A person can click through every single post that's made on all of Tumblr and say approved or unapproved. I think we can all see the automatic problem with that, which is that a huge amount of data is posted on Tumblr every day, every hour, even every minute. And that's extremely expensive to pay people to do. Tumblr does not have a lot of money. In addition, if they're looking for content that's harm against children, that can be really traumatic for people. Um, and that is a job some people have. And I'm glad there are people out there protecting children by doing that, but it's not something that's great for your mental health. So hiring people to do that is potentially damaging for those people as well. So we say, okay, well, we'll teach a robot to do it instead. There's a lot of problems with teaching a robot to filter content. Neural networks are great and a lot of times super powerful and the stuff that we can do with computers and filtering is amazing. But in this case, you're trying to teach it something that has an inherentness that's hard for a computer to understand. So to demonstrate this, we wanna point your attention to um, a Tumblr blog called lewisandquark.tumblr.com, which we will obviously be linking in the show notes along with a couple of our favorite posts. But on this blog, um, an AI scientist trains neural networks to come up with names for things like paint colors or off-Broadway musicals and post the results of what the neural network comes up with based on which different parameters it's given. And for anyone who doesn't know what a neural network is because you are not an AI nerd, what we're talking about is a really, really, really baby version of Tony's Jarvis. Yes, exactly. It's a learning algorithm. You give it a whole bunch of data. It compares all the data and says, yeah, I can come up with an average of this data and then pretends it knows what it's talking about and spews out an answer. Jarvis is impossible for what technology we have for neural networks now. If you ever played with chatbot or something like that, that's kind of like the linguistic learning algorithm version of Jarvis. If you squish all these things together, you kind of get a Jarvis. So this one, uh, we picked a couple of our favorites to give you an idea of how this neural network approaches coming up with averages of lists of things. So the first one is that it was given a list of names of burlesque shows and asked to come up with its own names for burlesque shows. And these are a few of our favorites. Farty Fasties, a burlesque show. Peepsing Tarts burlesque show. My favorite, The Pants of Fame burlesque adventure. I just love how it threw adventure in there. And then Flame's favorite, My Rears on the Sexy. <laughs> Guys, do you know what that means? <laughs> Uh, they ended up liking my rears on the sexy so much that the that their their host they hosted a show a couple years ago that was called my rears on the sexy, so you can go see the art that was done for that. Um, but then possibly my favorite ever Lewis and, and Quark uh, post was 
the uh, Portland guinea pig rescue gave them a list of every guinea pig they'd ever rescued, the names of their own pet guinea pigs, and then all the guinea pig names they could find online. And then they lined up all their current adoptable guinea pigs and asked the neural network to name those guinea pigs based on the names they'd already given. And so a couple, there's a whole list and you should definitely click and check them out, but a couple of our favorites, Pop Chop and Fuzzable, Buzzberry and After Pie, Sniffkit and Hanger Dan. As you can see, it kind of gets it, especially if you look at the difference between the burlesque show ones and the guinea pig ones. It's not spewing out nonsense. It understands the point. Pop Chop and Fuzzable definitely sound like potential guinea pig names, but as humans, we know they're not. And this is the fundamental problem with trying to teach robots how to find porn. What makes porn porn? If it's just a lot of skin tone, well, they're also marking sand dunes. And you can kind of see why. It looks like a lot of skin tone. The difference between a sand dune and a lot of skin tone actually turns out to be something that pretty much only people can distinguish, or at least it would take a very advanced AI to solve that problem. So Tumblr was overmarking or undermarking, and the few, first few months were plagued mostly with overmarking. Now we can see some of the filters are getting better because they do learn. The more data we give them, the more they learn. And every time something was unflagged, they said to the neural network, I buddy, you got this one wrong. But robots still think the deserts look like naked people and they kind of do. So it's really hard to teach them the difference. A lot of people on Tumblr have clearly figured this out already. If you drop porn with no skin tone colors, like if you make everybody blue, for example, um, it's unlikely to get caught. Fundamentally, robots don't understand sex, and this is not a shade at any robot fandoms. I'm sure your advanced sexy robots are wonderful have, and have fulfilling sex lives, but Tumblr's robots do not understand sex. And Tumblr, as we will get to again later, has very little money, and these are programs you have to pay for. So if the robots suck, what do we rely on? And even if the robots don't suck, how do we teach them where the line falls? Because even if our filters were perfect, we still have to somehow define the difference between what counts as porn and what's not. So if the robots do the first pass and then we appeal those because that's an option, the idea is that next a human looks at it and we see yet another breakdown of how to enforce a policy like this. Because regardless of how good the robots are doing, even if they're doing a terrible job, if the people driving them can't draw the line, how do we decide what's in and out? How do we draw the line between porn and artful nudity? They say that artful nudity is allowed. But if I post a sketch from a life drawing class of a naked woman with her female presenting nips sticking out and everything, that's clearly art. But what if she's got a hip cocked? What if she's smiling? What if she's licking her lips? What if she's looking right at the viewer with a sultry expression and her clothes are in a puddle on the floor? Is it porn now? The only difference between porn and art really is an intent to titillate. And it's impossible to decipher intent from viewing the final piece. So it's got to come down to the personal judgment of the person who's making the final call. Do you feel titillated? And is that a fair way to police content? Everybody's line is different. To have a stable community, you need concrete, predictable rules. And it's impossible to know where the line has been drawn for us as users. And one of the problems with asking, really, any company in the United States to have conversations regarding bodies is that the United States is, as a culture, very sex phobic. So I actually have a PhD 
in sociology and I've studied a lot of things like this. So over the next bunch of episodes and perhaps the life of the podcast, I will occasionally put on my Professor Flame hat and step back and hopefully help us understand some of the underpinnings of why things work the way they work from a sociological academic perspective. So today, this really fits well. The idea of sex phobia is an important concept to unpack. While the US is certainly one of the most sex phobic countries in the understood Western world, we aren't alone in our fear of women. Briefly, and assume this is true for every time we talk about anything with sex in the history of the podcast, the history of womanhood has been tied to the realities of menstruation. Blood in ancient times was connected to sacrifice and deities and sometimes demons and possession. But the sacrifice and the idea of deities, we could have easily gone with the assumption that women were goddesses when they bled monthly. And there are some cultures that did. Sadly, the ones that we inherited from didn't, specifically the we being the United States. And I can't speak for Canada. I don't study Canada, but perhaps Ferret will see some of this in her Canadian brain, perhaps the country that you call home, you see this as well, perhaps you don't. I can speak for the United States that we got the inheritance of the ones that were afraid of women. When women are a secondary class of human, therefore, they're in charge of bearing children and protecting them as the ones that were raising the next generation. Because having children is the primary goal of most biological creatures. Women have to be protected at all costs whether the women need protecting or not. So for example, before we had menstruation products that helped women become mobile during menstruation, there were all sorts of ways in which women were sequestered on a certain level during that period of time. So way, way, way back, way, way, way back in ancient times where people were tribal and living in deserts and moving around, there was literally tents where women sat on piles of hay. We have evidence that the piles of hay business extended through really until about the 1800s for some classes of women in some areas of the world. So if you're sitting on a pile of hay for four days, it's really hard to get anything else done. I personally have not tried it, but it sounds restricting. <laughs> so because of that, women can't be quote unquote full members of a productive society as it were. They can't be in leadership because these four or five, eight, nine, ten 10 days a month, they're going to be sitting on hay. And instead of re-examining any of those things when we started making sanitary pads and I mean, as, as primitive as they were back in my grandmother's generation where there was a belts and buckles and everything else involved, we never really stopped to examine any of this. And now, I mean, menstruation is still a massive, massive issue, but we're certainly mobile during it most of the time, at least. However, it, remi it also reminds people that the woman's body's primary function in according to the culture is to reproduce the next generation. So this is fundamentally where we get purity culture from. And this is a belief that the purity of the womb and the reproductive choices of women are actually public property. In the United States and a whole heap of other places, this also runs parallel to the fact that we are also a rape culture where men are believed to be the default possessors of truth and women are assumed to be the emotional vessels for bearing children. So we are terrified of women who want to have sex for reasons other than bearing children and we're terrified of sex without childbearing possibilities full stop because it doesn't fit into this binary that historically the culture has absorbed, created, and perpetuated. 
in fandom where we've created things like MPREG and we celebrate queer realities of all stripes, this has taken on a less feminized but no less weaponized reality. By policing the joy of others, all we are saying is that their choices are public property. That we get a say in their joy because we get a say in the sex lives of others because we get a say in the reproduction of the next generation. So the Tumblr purge comes from a fundamental inheritance of the puritanical foundations upon which America was founded. The heterosexual missionary position behind closed doors and only talk to us about bodies as sexual objects when we can talk about wombs. We can't talk about breastfeeding, for example, because boobs. And we don't know what to do with women are sexual creatures and also bearing children. So the more we get Tumblr purges and the more we get, get like cries of like, think of the children and we get calls to ban fictional ships, the more we're policing pleasure on subjects we honestly, as a giant culture, have no business talking about. All creatures are communal and we're shaped by our culture and in turn, we shape our culture. Fandom is an international entity and we are all bringing not only our nationally dominant cultures to the table, but our personally constructed ones. So y'all, there are lots of elements of this we really, really cannot unpack right now. But what we do know for sure is that in the United States, we have no idea how to talk about sex. We don't know how to talk about pleasure. We don't know how to talk about joy. We know how to talk about productivity, work, and profit margins. So we will never know what to do with sexual pleasure on a cultural scale. And that's why fandom needs to continue to be countercultural by celebrating consensual joy or non-con, if that's your kink, properly tagged in fictional settings, et cetera, et cetera. But we got to celebrate joy wherever we can find it. This is one of the things that makes the Tumblr thing so frustrating because that was a place where that was happening. But when we, when corporations, money, and the dominant purity culture of the United States kind of get involved, this is where things get really, really messy. So what does that mean for us as a community and how we should we feel about Tumblr now? Well, we can't know for sure what went on behind closed doors at Tumblr HQ. There's clearly a lot of things that went into this. It's possible that they didn't have the resources to better their child pornography filters and they couldn't add new ones for the FOSTA-SESTA problem and that the blanket approach was the only way they could feasibly manage handling the laws that are in place. There's a period of time where they were blocking tags and deleting blogs and everyone was confused and maybe they were confused, but how, because how do you put an age on an alien on a sexy table? Is a robot having sex with a sentient plant bestiality? So it's easier and lazier, but also cheaper and simpler to ban everything that looks like sex than to figure out where to draw the line in the sand, which of course brings us back to that personal judgment issue. But it's also possible they were under pressure from people who wanted to buy them because we do know that just a little over a year later or less than a year after the ban they were bought and it's possible that the people in charge of tumblr at yahoo had given up on caring about tumblr and wanted the quickest easiest way to appease the largest richest group of people and protect their legal asses but ultimately regardless of why they did it we as a fandom don't have the power to undo it so we're left to pick up the pieces and figure out what it means for us there's a pervasive sense of unsafety in fandom on Tumblr right now, because as Tumblr has shown, the filters are unpredictable, which means we can't police our own content to make sure we stay unflagged. And also, if they're willing to chop up a huge part of the user base at a moment's notice, what's next? Is written content with sex next? Talking about sex at all? Talking about gender? What's the next law that's gonna completely change how the rest of the world interacts with these content providers that are based in the US? 
But this is akin to the feeling that was fandom in the 90s and early 2000s. Fandom archives were all individually hosted by a person or a group of people who paid to keep the server up. Any day, someone could wake up and cancel their hosting account, delete the site and everybody's content and walk away. It happened. Sometimes it happened without notice. Groups of people would fight, split up, make new sites. There's a lot of drama you can find out there, complete records of all kinds of major fandom archive breakdowns. And content was also always judged on a personal level. Ship wars translated into content purges, bans, and drama. You were beholden to a single people or a small group of dedicated fan people who made no money off the choice to host your content and could therefore make any decisions about it that they wanted. And then we started moving more corporate, more businessy, these bigger bases for fandom. There was LiveJournal, and you can go read about Strike Through and Bolt Through. There's fanfiction.net, and you can go read about all of the fanfiction bands of the 2000s, because they hit a lot of them in a row. And, 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 there's, there's been hundreds. Um, I'm going to link a Tumblr post about the history of content bands uh, in fandom in the show notes, and you should just, even if you just scroll through it and have a look, you'll see that this coming from Tumblr is not a new thing to happen in fandom. So being beholden to corporations doesn't really change anything, except it adds money to the equation while increasing a sense of safety. When a large company disappoints us now, it feels less inevitable and more like a slap in the face. We trusted them, we made money for them. And of course the community gets fractured, it's inevitable. And yes, new social medias will rise and fall and communities will reform, but it doesn't mean that the fracturing now isn't painful. Just because we know that this happens and will continue to happen in fandom doesn't mean that we shouldn't grieve what we've lost. We're mourning the loss of content we valued, friends who left, connections we had formed that are gone now. We had a platform to be heard, to share, to celebrate what we loved about sex, and that's disappearing. And the grief comes out as anger sometimes. If you want to check out the notes on literally any post from the staff blog since the announcement, you can get some cathartic rage out by reading what other people are saying. I'm sure it's tough to be the Tumblr staff blog social media person right now, but I also understand having little sympathy for a company that's done this. It also comes out as sadness sometimes. A lot of people are just sort of disappearing out of just sadness, disappointment. Sometimes the grief's a motivator for new places though. Look at Pillowfort. It, it rapidly exploded due to the loss of Tumblr and they're moving at a much faster pace in terms of garnering new people and expanding because of that. The fact that this happens a lot doesn't change how much it hurts. And the fact that it'll, the fact that it'll happen again doesn't mean we shouldn't look for new homes that offer safety for us now. Ultimately, yes, fandom lives on and we can't always control the politics or the money or the companies that have this control over our living spaces especially for those of us who are not in the U.S., but are still using companies that are beholden to U.S. law. But you know what? Whether you're in the U.S. or not, vote. Global culture has an impact, too. Wherever you are, vote. Pay attention to these things. Something like a sex trafficking law might, might not feel like it could have an impact on the platforms where you share a porn of two superheroes going at it, but it can. But really, day to day, we're not in control. And it's okay to grieve that, and it's okay to be, be scared. We can learn how to protect ourselves the best that we can. We can learn how to protect our content. We can also keep fostering the connections that form fandoms that we can move on and rebuild when these sorts of things happen. Because remember, Asgard is a people, not a place. And so is fandom. With Tumblr 
we're shutting down avenues for creativity. We wanted to pivot now to talking about why it's always a good idea to follow your urge to create, even if you think it's been done before. Fandom is full of voracious consumers who want as much of their favorite tropes and themes as they can possibly get. People will sometimes follow tropes or tags to ships they don't even read because they want the trope that badly. But sometimes, especially on Discord or on Twitter or Tumblr, we read writers saying things like, oh, I want to write this, but so-and-so wrote it already, and they wrote it better. And then somebody will inevitably respond with one of two phrases. They will say, more cake, or they will say, two cakes. The fandom theory of two cakes declares that even though an author may look at a piece of work and think, oh, that's been done before, the audience will say, yes, two cakes! For if you love chocolate cake, are you sad there is more of it in the world? You are not. And the same can be said for fan works. There's a famous fandom comic that depicts the two cakes principle, as we call it, that says it shows an artist and they're putting their small, uh, more tamely decorated cake next to a giant multi-tiered fancy wedding cake. And the artist says, oh man, that guy's cake is way better than mine. But then we cut to the audience and it happy looking man with a knife and fork um, who says, holy shit, two cakes. Because the truth of the matter is people just want more. They want the way you're going to do it. They want those small, carefully decorated, simple cakes. And they want the complicated, multi-tiered, multi-buttons, chocolate bonbons cake as well. Yeah. I first learned about this theory probably, I don't know, three or four months into my time in fandom. And I was on a Discord, I think the, the Stuccone one at the time, but it, it could have been another, talking about how I really wanted to write a Fireman Steve AU. And I really liked the idea of playing around with this because obviously Evans looks like a firefighter. Mm -hmm. um, and Evans being from Boston would be really fun to play with and blah, 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 blah. And like in the pants. But I had just read like one that seemed good. And I was like, oh, and I don't, please don't ask me to link to it because my history is a scary, scary place. I just have a memory of this emotion. And uh, so I was saying in the server, I was like, oh, but it's already been done. And I had about six people immediately be like, more cake. And they spelled it M-O-A-R, which was also <laughs> new for me. <laughs> oh, that's like, that harkens us all, all the way back to the I can has cheeseburger days. So um, yeah, I nearly did a thesis project on uh, cheeseburger and talk, meme speak. So we can get into that someday too. <laughs> Ooh, definitely. Cause the, I have learned, I have, I feel like I have regressed in my ability to spell properly since joining fandom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does have an effect. It's also um, freeing in a way. Don't you think? Yeah, <laughs> nice. I'm not as worried about typos. It's kind of nice. Um, I never worry about typos in discord chats um, unless no. they change the meaning of my intention. And then I go back and I'm like, oh shit, sorry. Didn't mean that. Most of the time I don't even notice when I've done that. So <laughs> Oh, I'll have people call me out on it sometimes and then there's laughing faces and then I feel sad. <laughs> but anyway, so what I learned that day was that no matter how many firefighter Steve AUs there are in the world, there will never be enough. So true. And I have a really low self-confidence when it comes to my writing and I often feel like I'm just offering this tiny little piece of garbage out into the universe and please someone enjoy it and not notice that it is garbage. I don't have a lot of confidence in posting my fix, even if I'm proud of them. I have a thing in my brain that sometimes says like, oh, well, you really like it, but you're weird and no one else is going to. And let me say, this is not backed up by reality. This is not backed up by math or logic or statistics, any of the other things that Ferret really loves. This is simply <laughs> backed up 
by my brain. So the more cake theory is really helpful for me personally because I can read something really good that one of my favorite authors has written and then remind myself it's not one or the other. The, the limit does not exist to quote Mean Girls. Like if I want more of ABO fic with pregnant Tony, then other people do too. And no matter how much I write it, someone will read it. And even if they don't, I get the enjoyment out of writing it because I created the thing that I want to read. And that's an important thing I think to keep in mind, especially for maybe newer fandom creators who are scared to put something out there because they, you know, read it from somebody else they admire. Just remember, first of all, you could be somebody that somebody admires. Second of all, it doesn't really matter, even though it feels like it does. So more cakes, guys. More cakes, all the cakes. I... I love cake and I love fan fiction and I just, I want more of it. I think the best, like there, there's a lot to be said for rereading and I will reread things that I love, but God, when I see something come, in, come up in the feed that has one of the tags that makes my heart sing, I, I don't even check the author. I'm just clicking that shit right away. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And everybody has their own set of tags that that's their thing. So yeah, you know, if you're a black forest person or a vanilla funfetti person, it doesn't matter if somebody is so hungry for that and they're going to be hungry after they finish the first kick. Yeah. And they're still going to keep going. Like I'm on a real, real mpreg pregnant Tony kick right now. Mm. And I go through phases. So yeah. I think everyone goes through phases. And like there are times I'm really into reading, you know, I don't know, coffee shop AUs to bring up the thing we always bring up. But if I'm hungry, if I'm on a, on a thick, on a, tr on a uh, tag gorge, I want it all. I will read it all. We actually asked our Pot on the Suit Discord server, we gave, we threw out a list of some of the, and when I say cliche, I don't want you guys to think that cliche is derogatory because it's absolutely not. Cliches are vital for writing and they're part of what keeps storytelling going. And we can talk about that at another time. Um, but we came up with some a very tropey, very cliche feeling, uh, specific Steve Tony or Avengers. Um, story premises to see how many people would read as many of those as they possibly could. And uh, we'll talk about those results down in our community talk section at the end. And then if you are not on our Discord, which please come join us and play, and you would like to tell us about the tropes that you will read, you know, a million calories of cake worth of, please make sure to comment on the blog or find us on Twitter or on Instagram or anywhere else that you can find us and tell us what tropes you'd love to read. We would love to get some stony secrets for what your absolutely most self-indulgent cake fic would be. Either the one you want to write or the one you want to read. That you know there's a hundred out there already or maybe they're kind of out of fashion right now or whatever it is. Tell us. Tell us. We want to know. Yeah, especially if it combines a bunch of different cake oh, flavors yeah. into a new cake. Yes, please. I think that potentially the tagline for this pod that's going to really carry through is, is both. <laughs> Correct. That's, that's been a feature for almost everything we've discussed here. Yeah, and spoiler alert, guys, we are never going to give you the both option in polls. We're just going to keep torturing you. <laughs> we understand that the both is implied. I've, I've been told, or I have, I don't know if it counts as a promise, but I've thrown it out there that potentially we will give everybody a poll where all the answers are both, so they can let out their both feelings. We can process that, have some therapy, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah, it's we understand the both. We also agree with you on the both. We do. But but we're also data nerds and both is not helpful data. 
Because we also know that all y'all are going to pick both. Correct. What can we do with that? Nothing. Yeah. But when it comes to, to building tropes and making fanfic, please, by all means, pick both. Yeah, and we know we just contradicted ourselves. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> welcome, welcome to Contradictory Fest with Flame and Ferret. You're welcome, universe. You're welcome, universe. Finally, it's time for a quick roundup of some mini segments this week. And the first corner that we will be visiting is the trope off update. What do you have for us, Ferret? Well, uh, since the last time we talked, I have two polls that I ran for trope off. The first one was a face off between ABO and Trapped Together. Are you going to tell everybody which one you voted for? Uh, <laughs> do do <you> I remember? <laughs> No, I totally do. It's absolutely anything, anytime that ABO is up against anything, ABO is going to win. Really? In this life right now. Yep. That's my okay. main, I can't get enough of it. Well, you, you got to live your truth. Um, yeah. A lot of people agreed with you. ABO took 70% of the votes and Trust Together took 30%. So ABO is moving on for sure. Trap Together actually, what that was its first loss. Oh. So it is still in the running. Which is good because it's an, Excellent, excellent trope. It is. And like, again, the, the, the motto here is both. And there are so many ABO trapped together both situations that could be really great. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I know some people on the Discord even shared some recs for comboing yeah. those two together. So yeah, trapped together is still in the running. It will be coming up soon. Um, I don't know who against yet, but... I'll be running a couple of more and Trapped Together will have one more chance to make it back into the winner's bracket. So they're both still in the running. And next up, we have Domestic Fluff and Bed Sharing. I went with Domestic Fluff because I write more of it. And then I was one of the assholes underneath that said we should have been allowed to pick both. <laughs> you were not alone, as usual. <laughs> And I do, I do totally respect that for a lot of people, bed sharing would be like, it could be potentially considered part of a domestic fluff. I think that was my thing. I was like, well, they're the same thing, Ferret. What do you want me to pick here? But so I went with a broader category. That's fair. And I get it. But I also think that one of the, the key things of bed sharing as a trope versus just as a concept is this idea of being somehow forced to share a bed when that's not something you'd normally do. Uh, so it's somehow, principle. yeah, yeah, it like progresses the plot in some way or progresses the angst or the pining or whatever, because there was only one bed, but I, I do see the relationship there. And apparently so did the voters because it was pretty close. Domestic oh. fluff took it with 51% and bed sharing only made it to 49%. So even though bed sharing has had three consecutive wins, this was its second loss because it ran, it lost its first battle. And so bed sharing is now out of the running. Okay. RIP bed sharing. Yeah. Thank you for all you've done for fandom, but you're out. There have to be winners and losers. There do. And like the truth is when they say we are all winners, that, that does apply here because these are all amazing tropes. Yeah. And the goal is to goal is to have fun and see how it shakes out and not to make any tropes feel bad because they all get their little participation medals, I'm sure. We're personifying tropes now. I see we're, we hit <laughs> new places. I get oh, it. 
I can, I can anthropomorphize pretty much anything. So noted. Yeah. So we'll be up with a couple of more over the next couple of weeks. And I'll be honest, we're getting kind of, we're getting kind of close. It's getting exciting. We're going to start seeing a lot of the same tropes coming up because now we're duking it out for like the ones that have been winning a couple are going to have to lose two to get kicked out. So it's going to get, it's going to get tight. It's going to get hinky. There might be some fights in the comments, which, you know, I'll be here to share with you. And I can't wait. Thanks to everyone who's been participating in Dropoff. And remember that you have to have a Twitter account to vote, but you do not have to have a Twitter account to yell at Ferret on the Discord. True. Always true. You can come yell at me anytime. And you also, while you need a Twitter account to vote, you don't have to be following me. If you just go, um, if you see that I post them on the Discord and I post them on Tumblr and everything. So if you just keep your eyes peeled, you can always go. So I'll be fair. Following me, it gets you trope up and it gets you animal pictures and not much else. So if you're into that, you're covered. Like, I can't recommend Ferret's feed highly enough because Frisk shows up. So she does. Like, I, I do it for your mental health, guys. Yeah, it, I'm only going to make you feel better, probably. I hope so. Frisbee, there, you know, there's pictures of Frisbee and a unicorn horn, so it doesn't really get much better than that. Life-giving. So yeah, keep your eyes peeled. More trope off to come. So now that we've covered that poll, Flame, uh, what were the results of a little poll that we ran over on the Discord server? One of the things, dear listeners, that we are going to be doing more of is server polls on the Discord server. First of all, we get to vote in emojis, which I find to just bring joy. It's whimsical. (laughs) It's just so delightful. Uh, I can't figure out how to make voting really happen on Tumblr. And the Twitter is about like, you can only pick one. Discord for us is about, you can pick them all. We just want to know what you love. So there's going to be more and more of this coming up. Uh, This was kind of our inaugural sale down the uh, river of Discord polls. And we asked, we listed a couple of the, from our perspective and the perspective of the podcast staff, the stony specific cliches as you were, the ones that come up again and again and again in a lot of our fix. And we'll be doing this for other ships as well in the Steve and Tony bicycle universe. So we had things like Tony hides in his workshop and Steve has to feed him. Steve and and Tony have shared soul marks, but one or both of them keeps it a secret. Then we had a high school AU where one of them is the cool kid and the other one thinks that they're not liked. Uh, we have a, the very, the ever present, one of them gets injured and they are forced to hide out together during the patching up, feelings come out, all those pesky feelings. Then kind of adjacent is Steve and Tony are captured together and they have to work together to escape. There's no injury, but it is hard to keep your feelings a secret when you are smushed in a tiny cell or tied to the same chair or et cetera, et cetera. Then we have uh, Tony buying Steve things and Steve freaking out. We have Tony finding Steve's sketchbook and seeing that all the sketches are of him. And we have Steve doesn't know that Tony is Iron Man and Tony pulls away to keep his secret safe and Steve thinks he doesn't like him and then everything's revealed and it's just identity porn and not surprising, identity porn was one of the top winners. You know, I I just have to say, I'm pretty sure I've written all of these (laughs) Have you, have you written him buying Steve things and Steve freaks out? That was the one where I was like, kind of, I've, I'll have to think about it more. I'm pretty sure I've at least written something that included that as a factor. 
because I write so many ships, like the high school AU one is the cool kid. I wrote that as a winter iron, but I haven't written it as a stony. No, I did that one as a stony for one of my fandom stocking ones. Okay. And I did tied to a, I did smush together with, um, uh, for a cap Iron Man, like community gift last summer. Like there was a really great picture of I, it was Steve and Tony like tied to a chair and then Peter coming down from the ceiling. Oh, nice. And so I wrote a whole fic about that and how Peter ties them together to make them talk. Oh, like our get along t-shirt or whatever. Essentially, yeah, like a get along t-shirt, yeah. Um, and I've definitely done the workshop for food. So the workshop yeah. for food and the ID porn were the two most popular. Yeah. Followed very closely by Tony finding Steve's sketchbook. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. This was a really, really small poll. We only had about 50 votes. And at, like nearly everything got almost half the vote. There were some like less popular, but what is important is that literally everything got a vote. And so in the universe of more cake. Which we were talking about earlier. We've got eight things here that qualify as more cake. Yeah, there's no end to consumers for even these things that the fandom considers to be, and I say cliche with all the love that I have for cliches. These are premises that have definitely been done many, many times before and people will still devour them. They're still clearly, even just our tiny sample size, there were people out there absolutely ready, knife and fork poised to have yeah, all of these tropes. Like, we dropped it on Friday afternoon for a whole host of reasons, including that I was just really, really done with life and wanted some joy. Um, <laughs> And so, but watching for like a couple hours after that poll came down, people just throwing wrecks at each other and like, oh my God, do you have that? I want to read that. Who wrote that? Oh, that sounds amazing. If again, more cake is not just something we say to make people feel better. It is a way that we live. Give us more cake. And now to hear more from you, we're going to move on to Community Talks, our segment where we hear from the community. First up, we have had some amazing comments on our website from our last episode, which was BDSM. And I just wanted to read one of them out that I really loved. Uh, Spacebound Witch said, I love the chemistry you both have. Haha, <laughs> so cool to listen to Ashes and Ferrets speak about the process of held. To quote Starkid, totally awesome. Such an amazing job with all the work on the podcast in general, but also really appreciate how organized everything is. That's, that's really sweet to hear. <laughs> Um, yeah, we put it organized. Yeah, we, it's not just, there's like so many levels to it, not just because we're like sort of psychotically organized people, but in a chaotic kind of way. But, um, if I were consuming this, I would appreciate having a structure that I could sort of predict and know how to engage with. So we're trying to make it as accessible as possible mm -hmm. in that regard. So thank you. Yeah, especially because we're going to acknowledge this year listening to this on March 29th and the world has changed probably 17 times between when we're recording this and when you're listening to this. There's been a couple people that talked about already the, the last episode, episode two, which came out kind of at the beginning of things like shelter in place orders and stuff. Um, and this is going to go on for a while, no matter where you are in the world. So know that we are thinking of that. We hear that like it sounded like we were really, really glad that some of you were able to listen to the BDSM talk while you were stuck at home. We're glad we gave you 90 minutes of a break, perhaps. 
we're going to be giving you more. So not only this episode, but hopefully we're going to come up with some other ways to engage, including continuing conversations on the Discord. Like I said a couple minutes ago, we're going to be doing more server polls, but also just trying to come up with ways for all of us to socially distance, but not socially isolate. And how can we do that through talking about our favorite idiots and supporting each other in that way? So keep your eyes peeled in the Discord. This is a great time to join if you haven't gotten a chance to join us yet. And one of the things that I asked about already that we'll be asking about continually, because we know that one of the pieces of communal disappointment right now around the fandom is the canceling of a lot of cons, especially Ace Northeast in Boston. That was one of the biggest ones. I think that was the first canceled and then also some others out in the West Coast. And so I asked some people um, myself and then we put it on the Twitter and we um, kind of poked up some people about their best con stories. And we've got a couple that really made me smile and we wanted to share them with you guys. So the first one says, my favorite memory from a con is when my best friend and I got to meet Chris Evans, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan when they came to Philly four years ago. Editorial comment. I did not realize that they were in Philly four years ago. Oh, you missed out. <laughs> I am having some real issues with past flame right now that she should have been paying attention. Okay. The wait in line was so long and there had been rumors about things not going well for the celebrity guests the day before. So we were worried that the photos might be canceled, but luckily they weren't. And we made friends with a few people in line. And in the end, Anthony wound up complimenting the shirts my friend made for us. And we got an amazing picture with them. That's awesome. I'm really glad, first of all, that you got to make friends with people in line because I hear that that's a big part of cons because there yeah. is so much waiting. That's honestly my favorite part of that story. <laughs> that they yeah. Made friends in line. Um, I love that Maggie complimented the shirts too. That's great. It's, um, I'm always, I always hope that the meet and greets are positive for the celebrities as well as they are for us fans. So I hope that was for him. And then another one was it starts off, thank you, Flame and Ferret, for working on the podcast and letting us participate. We say you're very welcome. Please Thank keep you for participating. participating. <laughs> Please keep participating. Please. Now that we are confined and have to keep our distances, I'd like to talk about how I met my BFF. I used to go to every manga and anime convention held in my city when I was in middle school. On one of the first ones I ever went, I met this one girl and we instantly connected. It was crazy, all caps crazy. We said the same things at the same time. We shared so much and we talked so much in a few hours. 10 years later, we moved in together. Oh my gosh. And I haven't had so much fun with someone else ever. It was a turning point. Best day ever. I hope you all have someone as important, as supportive as she is in your lives. Oh, that's so cute. That is so beautiful. Best friend, I hope you possibly listen to this and you're hearing what lovely, lovely things were said about you. But also, <laughs> thank you for sharing that story. That is so just heartwarming to remind ourselves that humans are really good at connection. And fandom, ultimately, we've said this before, and I will say it again as many times as it takes, fandom seems like it's just about loving the source material, but ultimately fandom is a community that is built on connection. It's about connecting with other people because you have a shared love of something. That is what fandom is. So that's just, that makes me really happy. Yeah, it like takes care of the small talk for you so you can just get to know people really well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, we also had some other submissions to our Stony Secret on other topics. So um, a couple were love notes that I wanted to share and hopefully the people that these notes are for are out there listening and they know that they're about them. These were really sweet. So the first one, I have, I have a suspicion who this might be about. <laughs> a little, little, maybe an idea. Mm, just a little bit. 
She's murderously adorable, round and yellow, very cute, love seeing her around, but sometimes she's got a knife. <laughs> and if you want to figure out who that might be, I suggest joining the POTS MCU 18 plus Stony Discord server because, yeah, I have my suspicions. Yeah. And don't worry, the knife is mostly for show. Mostly. You never want to find out when it's not. <laughs> she wields a knife in one hand and a spray bottle in the other. Yep. And we had another a little love note here. In this fandom, like any other social space, I have found toxic people exist and need to be avoided at all costs, sure. But there are ways and resources to do that. The most important one being the true friends I have found and cherish more than anything. Not only are they a great support and an amazing sounding board for both personal and creative endeavors, they are also some of the most honest, wholesome, and profoundly good people I've ever had the good fortune to meet. My first cracks and lights and smokes and shines, hues of red and yellow and sometimes even blue. The sun is made of it and this woman as well. She's the velvet glove with an iron fist you seldom get to see. She's practically perfect in every way. My second is soft as a tulip and mom's over 400 people, is a Rogers at heart and not a buffalo. She's gentle, but will spray you, a small town girl at heart. My son is three girls chatting at all hours about everything, and I am truly so grateful. That is so beautiful. Like, and goes to what you were saying, fandom is about people. I'm sure their conversations are a whole lot more about things besides Steve and Tony. They're about, yeah. but still about that too. I just, that was so beautiful. Yeah, I like even just... Like you and I have been doing this recording for this podcast only for a couple of weeks, but we've definitely put more hours into just chatting than we have into recording, which is for sometimes sure. a problem. But um, And all of you who say that we should just release that all of our conversations, <laughs> no, no, we are not going to do that. No. You do not actually want that. There may, maybe someday there'll be some outtakes because there are a couple of those. But no, we don't even necessarily record. We're just we're just chatting, chatting. and uh, getting to know each other. And that's been really positive too. So that's my love note to you. Mwah. Mwah. Right back at you. <laughs> um, and one of the things that, one of the other questions that we asked, I think, Fer, I think you mentioned this, like when we were first talking about Stony Secrets, but I'll admit this is one of my perpetual, if I could ask absolutely everybody, I'd ask everybody, but what is the weirdest place you ever read fanfic? Oh yeah. And so we got one answer already on Stony Secrets. Please send us more. So this, this person said, Ferret's comment about weirdest places you read fanfic shook this memory from my head. I was sitting in a 1L law class and saw a few rows in front of me, someone on live journal reading fanfiction between their legal tabs, and I never felt more of an instant kinship. <laughs> I love this so oh, that's hard. that's great. I hope they said something. I feel like they didn't, but it'd be so amazing if they bonded over that. Oh my gosh. There are definitely times where I'm standing behind somebody in a grocery store and I'll lean over and I can tell it's an AO3 font that they're scrolling through. <laughs> oh yeah. You know what? It hasn't really happened to me that I can think of. Like, I, I regularly read fanfic while I'm at, like, on trails by myself with packs of dogs, because it's part of my job. And I'll be, like, walking into trees and, like, walking into posts and stuff, because I'm trying to walk dogs and read fanfic at the same time. Mine has always been planes. I don't think that's weird, though. Like, that just seems normal to me. Of course you'd read fanfic on the plane. What else are you going to do? That's so true. I, like, I have to angle the Kindle sometimes, though. Like, that's uh, yeah. writing it on the, on a plane next to... I tend to write... I tend to make my font bigger when I'm next to someone who's super snooty, and I make sure to write a porn scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. Welcome. If you, if you want to look over my shoulder, you're going to see a lot of cocks just morning. Yeah. The last time I did it, the last flight I took before this all happened, I was writing in an ADO bit 
Nice. And uh, Steve is the Omega and uh, Tony is the Alpha and Bucky's involved as a Beta. And I'm having them talk about pregnancy and I could see the woman's eyebrows go up and I just yes. want to be like, how can I help you, sweetheart? You're like, let me just scroll through some of these notes so I can get to the nodding section. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear more from people because I don't, I don't have a lot of those because I don't, I don't have a lot of, like I, I read it everywhere, but I don't have a lot of weird places in my life, I guess. <laughs> so I want to hear other people who have had those moments. Sometimes. Yeah, I definitely want to hear if you got caught reading it in class. Yeah. I definitely want to hear those stories. Because we all know everyone is reading it in class all the time. But 100%. I'm reading it at work, just to be honest, and I'm the owner. So like, I, it's happening. Like, but well, what I, I need is the teacher who accidentally put it up on the yes! screen. I, I, plot, I uh, put up my computer once and my background is mm. um, like a couple weeks ago, actually, I was lecturing out um, at a university I'm not normally at. And my background is art I commissioned for a fic. But thankfully, like, you know, no one really knew what that was. So I was just like, oh, this is a really lovely painting that a friend of mine did. <laughs> not a lie, but like, I'm not going to get into it all. Like, a whole yeah. bunch of like uh, I should have though. But anyway. All right. Well, send us more. We want to know. There's some, I'm sure. I mean, I haven't even thought of them yet. So tell us. Tell us. Moving on. We also got a lovely message on Twitter. I'm going to butcher this, but from Colonel Raja. Raja? like Colonel Rogers, I'm guessing. <laughs> um, and he said, I feel super educated in something that I didn't know much about after listening to this week's cast. Great job, y'all. That's awesome. It was, you know, I don't think that we were expressly going into it with an intention to educate people. Like primarily we want to entertain and engage people, but knowing that there's enough sort of meat in there that people are learning something new is also super awesome. I think we heard that a lot on the Discord too, like that this wasn't a world that people were really familiar with. And especially the way that you and Ashes were able to break down stuff in Held to kind of make people understand that I think like we even, I mean, we learned some stuff as we were talking about in our conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think this was a common theme and I'm really happy. Professor Flame always wants people to learn things. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm really, I'm really happy. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And if you guys have topics that you want to learn more about, then we have a topic um, suggestion form on our website and we will do the research for you and then we'll present it on the pod. So let us know if there's a, if, you know, anything from a history question to a trope that you don't understand or an AU you want to write, but you don't know how to approach it. Um, grammar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grammar, or um, sometimes like different, even different populations, you'd really love to write a population you're not a part of. We can figure out how to help you connect with some resources and some people about that. Um, you know, anything, the sky's the limit here, guys. We're here for you. Get in touch, really, in any way. Yeah, speaking of, some folks on our Discord were talking about how they have questions for us, and it kind of turned into a joke about how I sound like fandom's aunt. So, which I informed people, I get called anti-flame or anti-pepper by people in my life all the time. And this seems to have taken off, which got fair. And I thinking, we like hearing your questions. We would love to answer more of them. We have no idea if you have them for us. Um, but like, for instance, Ferret's really good at grammar <laughs> and very passionate about it. So like, we said- <laughs> Very a couple passionate times, is a nice way of putting it. Very passionate is the diplomatic way. Ferret, <laughs> feelings about grammar. So if you have a question, especially, I mean, none of us are taught grammar, even in the United States, I'll say this, we're not taught grammar well. 
And it can be very, very confusing in, in English. So if you don't know the difference between a semicolon and an M dash, Barrett would love to tell you. I would love to tell you. Don't get me started. And if you've now. got questions for me about, I don't know, how to write fluff, I don't really do a whole lot around here, but I would be happy <laughs> to answer them. So throw us at them in Stony Secrets, put them in our Tumblr asks. Um, our email is pot on the suit at Gmail. You can DM us on Instagram. I mean, pick a feature, guys. We are available. But don't feel like you have to wait for a specific ask. Um, and I will say that there may be rumors <clears throat> of a special question segment coming soon. Hmm, what's that about? But uh, even beyond that, like anything we can help you with, either for topics or you're just curious, we would love to do this because again, we're gonna say it until we are proverbially blue in the face. We do this for and with you guys. We know we're the ones on the mic, but trust me, we are not the only ones involved in getting this thing on air, not just our incredible staff, but also all of you who give us the ideas and talk with us and answer our questions and write the things that inspire us to ask more questions, create the things, draw the things, record the things. We want this to be a really communal experience, so don't hold back. So halfway between community talks and our events forecast, which is coming up shortly, I did want to talk a little bit about an event that I ran with our lovely server mod, Only More Love, over on a different Discord server, the Put on the Suit Discord server. Uh, Marie mentioned it in last week's events forecast, and it ran this past weekend, uh, and it was an amazing event. It was really positive. I was so impressed with how many people engaged with it. Basically, the idea of the event was we do a lot of love for each other in fandom. It's incredibly beautiful and moving and amazing how there's an endless outpouring of support for each other. And especially in Discord servers, I see a lot of that constant affection and support and help offered and um, just freely given people donating time and even resources and money to help each other and support each other. And that's wonderful. But I think that sometimes we forget or even actively avoid providing the same support and love and affection and compliments to ourselves. And additionally, there can be kind of an environment in some of these spaces where there's some reasons why people wouldn't want to talk that way about themselves or brag about their achievements. And I mean that in a totally positive way or celebrate the things that, that they've accomplished. There's a inclination sometimes when one person is proud of themselves for the response to be, and I don't think anyone means this in a, in a negative or, or mean way, but the response is often, oh, wow, that's amazing. I could never do something like that. Or, oh gosh, none of my stories are ever gonna have that many kudos. Or what a nice comment, nobody's ever that nice to me or I could never read that fast, or um, yeah. like all that kind of stuff, yeah. Yeah, and it's this, this need to qualify sort of one's own experience when engaging with somebody else's pride or celebration. And I totally get the impulse, but we just wanted to give people some space where that particular response was curbed so that it was a totally free and open and affectionate, affectionate place to be proud of yourself and what you've accomplished. So what we did was we have a, a server events channel and that channel for those two days, you could go in there, tag a specific role and then write a brag about yourself. And it had to be 
self-affectionate. It had to be without negative qualifiers. So you couldn't say something like, my husband thinks I'm a good cook, but I don't think I'm that great. That's not a self-brag. That's just what somebody else said. So no negative qualifiers. And the other rule was that people's responses had to be 100% positive as well. So we encouraged a lot of emoji reaction responses if people weren't sure what to say. But primarily the idea wasn't for people to respond. It was for the individuals making the brags to compose those things and put them out in the world. And I'll be honest, I was really nervous about running this event because I wasn't sure if people were going to engage with it or not. It's really different from things that we've done before and to try and encourage people. And I know it's really hard for a lot of people to do this. So to try and encourage people to do it, we set it up so you could win prizes. So every little brag you made gave you a raffle ticket sort of into a draw to win some amazing prizes. But I just think, I mean, this might be totally confirmation bias, but for me, I felt like that positive energy and that positivity and that pride really leaked out into the rest of the server. And I saw a lot of people giving love to each other, which we all already do and are good at, but it was almost like complimenting ourselves gave us this like energy that we then had to expend by going to compliment other people to like balance it out. I just felt like giving people space to be proud of themselves without feeling like they're making anybody else feel bad about not having those accomplishments is really important. And it's not something that we do a lot. And it's not a space that's necessarily easy to find. I think a lot of people choose to celebrate their accomplishments in private messages with friends they trust because they're not sure if they're going to get any of that sort of self-deprecation that often comes back from being proud. And I think it's important for people to learn how to celebrate not just other people's accomplishments, but their own accomplishments without putting them in the context of what other people can and can't do. Yeah. And as a participant, I was really overwhelmed with how vulnerable people chose to be with us. Yeah. We, we, the parameters were really broad. You could do something as simple as my last story got 200 kudos and I'm really proud of it. And that was fine. But wow, some of them were really personal, really emotional. Yeah. I dipped in and out for most of the weekend. It was one of the, I wasn't on discord a lot this weekend for a lot of reasons, but that was a channel that I kept checking in on every time I picked up my phone and it was a real testament to me of the kind of culture that the mods on POTS have built, that this is the kind of event that can happen there, but also that this is a kind of event that can happen in fandom if things are, if people are kept safe and allowed to, and given space to talk about themselves. It, the amount of people who have taken real control of their mental health um, the way we heard about people talk about therapy and cutting toxic people out of their lives and making some real choices with boundaries and advocating for themselves for promotions and um, pride in their job. As the sociologist too, I will say, like we know that that fandom is op- is occupied largely by women and and people who identify as queer and a lot of generally marginalized voices. There's not a lot of cishet white guys in fandom on the creative side. And so it stands to statistical reason that any server on Discord is gonna have, is be largely populated by marginalized voices. And to have this entire server conversation of people probably from those populations 
talking about taking pride in themselves, talking about fighting for their work, talking about doing good jobs is really countercultural. Most of us are told that we're not good at these things a lot by a lot of voices. And to have this space in fandom where we can go, no, damn it, I am good at this. I cried a lot. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. really, really beautiful. I was really touched. And so, so many people participated and so, and the, the brags themselves ranged hugely, but everyone engaged with the fundamental point, which was to be proud of yourself. And you and I yeah. both said that we were proud of this podcast and I'm going to own that right now and say, we are really proud of what we've built yes. here. So if some of, maybe some of you want to go in Sony Secrets this week and, or in the next couple of weeks and tell us something that you're really proud of because you should be able to, or, you know, send it to us an email, we'll put your name on it because you should be able to be unashamedly proud of the amazing things that you're achieving in fandom, without fandom, in your family, in, with, within your own head. Uh, I want to see that. And we're proud of you. We are. So if you want to hear more about other events you can participate in, because sadly this one is finished, but I would not be surprised if we ran something like that again. So stay tuned and always listen to Marie for your events forecast. But this week we have Only More Love standing in for Marie, who is unable to record. Take it away, Only. Hi, fandom. Only more love here, filling in for Marie, to tell you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you in our event forecast. A little note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. All right, so now for the fun stuff. First of all, we can't believe we didn't mention this before. But the Lights on Park Avenue Prompt Challenge is just closing its seventh round, and you have until March 31st to squeeze in some last creations. Lights on Park Avenue is a Steve Tony prompt challenge that runs every month with a new set of varied, inspirational prompts, which you can pick to create anything in the medium of your liking. No minimum requirements there. March's themes were survival and spring. The Steve Rogers Birthday Bash 2020 is almost here as well. A flexible mini-bang centered around our favorite star-spangled man, open to all ships and with sign-ups opening tomorrow and going until April 6th. In these times of lockdown, we have seen a number of initiatives spring up around fandom, and Fandom Trump's Hate launched one of their own in the form of the Fandom Central Directory of Creators, It's meant to support creators relying on their fan-made creations to keep afloat and connect them with other fans interested in what they offer. On another note, Marie, the crazy organizer, came back and is bringing you the Rare Pairs prompt meme for all the Stony Plus, Tony, and or Steve, or other Rare Pairs needs you may have. Prompting is open until April 18th, with prompts made public and open to be filled from April 19th to May 18th. Winter Iron Month's last three days are free days to use any prompts from the list of the event or to wreck works that didn't fall into the previous category. Another event we haven't mentioned until now is the Stucky Blind Date, a collaborative event between artists and writers who have claimed the same premise in the form of a prompt. 
you can sign up at any point until December and will, no matter what, have until January 1st, 2021 to fill your prompt with your collab partner. The Sam Steve Anniversary Week is also starting today and will go on until April 4th. It celebrates their first joint screen time in Civil War. It's a prompt-based event like any other ship week. The sign-ups for the third round of the Bucky Barnes Bingo are in their final stretch. Be sure to get your sign-up in before March 31st. Cards will be going out between April 1st and April 5th. And if you haven't already set up your project and goal for Camp NaNoWriMo, you still have two days to do so, as it will last for the whole of April. As a reminder, the following events accept signups or fills for the entire duration of their rounds or close to the MCU Kink Bingo, the Cap Iron Man Bingo and Comet Bingo, the Cap Iron Man Kink Meme, and the Tony Stark Bingo. All relevant info can be found on their respective blogs, which you'll find linked in the show notes of this episode. This has been your events forecast, delivered by your intern forecaster only. And I, or Marie, will see you next episode. Until then, happy shipping! And that's all we have for episode three. (laughs) Thanks so much to Stark Snack for providing our art. Thanks to the whole podcast staff for all their work with a special thank you to Only More Love for filling in as our intern forecaster, reading Marie's script when the lockdown caused some recording logistical issues for Marie. She's fine. Don't worry. We really hope to have her back next episode, but we'll make sure you get your events forecast no matter what. And thanks to all of you for listening and engaging and making this such a communal project. And please keep that going. We would always love to hear from you if we have not said that enough this episode. You can comment on the website or across any of the socials. Don't forget to keep those stony secrets and questions coming. And we will see you in episode four, pals. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.